Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, DJs and DJs of the future, this episode of the podcast is supported by Doing the Damage, the only DJ pool focused exclusively on house and dance music, supplying the best remixes, bootlegs, mashups and exclusive tracks from their global network of DJs and producers. Check it out now at doingthedamage.com. In this episode, I talk to Mark Maitland about his journey from music lover to DJ and then into the world of music production and sound engineering. There are lots of different facets to the music industry that don't always become obvious until you peel back a few layers. This episode sheds some light behind the scenes of the industry and the DJ game itself. Let's get to it. Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are. Right, we're live in uh, Studio 11 with Mark Maitland, uh, old friend and uh, sound engineer, mix engineer, entrepreneur. Um, All of the above and none of the above. And and, and used to be a DJ, so we're going to go, as we do every podcast, right back to the start. What is the first... Like exposure to music that you can remember. What's the first like? Who's playing? Is it your mum and dad? Is it like? Yeah, where, where do you... definitely, definitely parents. Dad, obviously, dad predominantly. My dad's well into his music, and or I've just kind of grown up with an eclectic mix from dance music to Beethoven, classical music, just loads of different bits and pieces that it's always been in my ears since I ever ever remember Sunday. Sunday night would always be Sunday meal. Whatever my dad would listen to, Captain Beefheart or Peter Gabriel, anything like that, and just kind of, it's just something I've never known anything other than music. So there's just mind. always music in the house. Oh, constantly, yeah, yeah, constantly. And what was like your first memory of having like your own music? Like, was it someone did? Was it bought for you? Did you buy it yourself? Like, you know, like because it's a different age now. Like, you used to be able to physically hold music. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. you'd have been given like a CD or a vinyl. Like, what was your first memory of something that was like actually yours? The fir- I think the first. The first physical piece of music I bought, I bought a, a Now compilation that had the Prodigy out of space on it. It had Hideaway on it. Yeah, Delacy. Delacy, yeah. Uh, Urban Cookie Collective. Yeah, yeah. I just remember having that CD. Two records there that we've actually used the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember getting that, and I remember, I think, because we just that was it. My dad had bought. A new stack system, a new hi-fi system. Yeah. Because he just got into CDs, and because he just got that, I was like, "Oh, pick a CD." So obviously, I I heard the Prodigy record on the on the uh, on the radio, and uh, I was like, "Right." Obviously, gravitating towards dancing, even that early age, without know, thinking about it. And I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna get that because it's got that on it." And I just remember just like listening to that over and over again to the point where mum and dad had to literally just get me my own little CD player for my cool. bedroom, so yeah. I was just playing the Prodigy in the in the living room constantly. And uh, yeah, and then from I think from that, I always remember my first vinyl because it had a vinyl thing on it, which was Mr. Wazzo flat beat. Yeah, which I think probably was a lot. Did you, and did you, did you buy that? Like we've, we've jumped a couple of steps, but we'll go with it. Like, did you buy that at the point where you then started to? Understand what DJs were. No, 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 not DJ. at all. That so, I mean, a, it was right. like my dad on the on the stack system had a had a vinyl vinyl yeah. player. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I, I think I'd I'd picked it up. Or so I I could I must have been about four, fourteen for that. Okay. To get to be getting getting vinyl, obviously had a couple of more CDs and what have you. Yeah. In, in between there, but um, was kind of into kind of like I was just, I used to skateboard a lot, so I was kind of into like punk. Punky kind of like edgy American stuff, but yeah, the kind of American, Americany kind of stuff, and uh, it, uh, and then obviously still in the dan- dance music kind of thing. But the, the purchase of the vinyl wasn't because I'd started to, okay. started to DJ or anything. I just, I just done it. I just because then that's the next question where we always go is like, so when were you sort of first aware that people would. DJs, like I know it sounds like a silly question, but like, was it the radio? Was it, did you, was it a mate? Was it like, when was the first time that you were aware that like it was kind of someone's job to pick and play records? I, I used to judge Jules and everything okay. on, a, on a Saturday night. Same yeah. thing with Dave Pierce and that. Yeah, it was always Pete Tong, Judge Jules. I used to work in my dad's restaurant. Okay, and obviously. We, I'd be working in the kitchen with him, and the radio would be on. So we'd always have like on a on a Friday night, you'd have it was always Pete Tong, yeah, Jules was on, yeah, uh, 
and then and then on a, obviously a Saturday Rampant Love Groove Dance Party yeah yeah and there's always, always that's always obviously high energy music keeps you yeah. keeps your work vibe going obviously had a bit of a, a bit of a taste for it by, by that point and just got pretty goddamn obsessed with the stuff I was hearing yeah to the point where I'd make my money at my dad's my dad's restaurant child labour that he would charge <laughs> and uh, he would I would then take that money and then I'd get the bus from Annick, which yeah. is where I'm from, up in the Thumbland, all the way down to, down to not all the way down, but to, to Newcastle, Newcastle, which is two hour, two hour bus journey with all the stops of the little little villages on the way, and spent just blow all that money on vinyl. I used to go at the bottom of HMV, sit there going through all these white labels, and you go, I remember that record from Jules or whatever. Yeah. And Did then, you know about flying records at this time? Was that was that around, or were you just not quite? Yeah, flying that was near, that was down hybrid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was kind of. That was always a little bit more cooler shindiggy kind of vibe, and yeah. I've always been a slightly little bit more up tempo with yeah, like the trancier stuff. Yeah, things. yeah, yeah. Especially, especially as you were getting. So into at this that point, like, you're buying music, right? Like, which is cool. But at this point, it's not in your head that you want to be a DJ. At this point, you don't really know. No, I didn't have aspirations. Yes. I got decks. My <laughs> mum and dad had bought me decks. All right, so you got proper like yeah, DJ yeah, decks. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got sort of decks. I got um, the new new mark. No, the weren't like belt Newmark. drives. They were definitely belt drives. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what were they? They were definitely they were definitely sound labs but or something that's, nonsense. But that's interesting. Like that's an interesting concept that you sort of you sort of had decks but weren't weren't trying to be a DJ or didn't think that that was it was just a way of playing the music. The music yeah, that well, you liked. I, yeah, I was like I got them and obviously was obsessed with trying to teach myself how to mix. But I was must have only been about fifteen. Okay. It wasn't so like... at this point, you've and and, and we and like we say this all the time on podcasts. Like this is way before, like way before. This is before YouTube. You can't watch someone be a no, DJ no, now. Like no. it's not, it's not a thing. Yeah. So like, so you've heard them on the radio, but you haven't at this point ever seen anyone no. DJ. No, <laughs> that's mad. So I'd, yeah, I'd never. I'd, yeah, that's that's a fair. I suppose that's a fair point. I never really thought yeah. about that. You, you ha- it's not like you were, you could go on YouTube and watch someone DJ and yeah. or someone teach you how to beat match or I'd been to see. I think I probably maybe. No, it was probably after that I'd been to see Fat Boy Slim, but I I knew what mixing was and how how the concept of blending records together. Yeah, and worked out obviously you adjust to the te- the tempos and stuff, and but just kind of like the same with making music for me. It's, I've always I've always just taught myself yeah. or just like wanted to learn something and just sat sat and did it. And like I I, I remember sort of doing that with, with, with my like vinyl turntables and that. It's it's so phenomenally difficult. Like, if no one's showing you mm-hmm. and you can't watch a video, like, it just, it seems really hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, to do it. So that's the, so the fat wife things. The next question is, like, when was, can you remember the first time that you saw someone DJing, like, at a party or, like, a, a, a gig or, like, you know, what was, do you remember the first time you actually I saw someone DJing? I think Fat Boy would have been one of the early ones. So what but was I... that? What show was that? Oh, I've been in Newcastle, one of the uni, one of the uni gigs. But was that like an underage thing, or was it like, or did you probably sneak in probably like... not? I'll have will have gone. I always had nice long sideburns and yeah. Uh, Mark's a hairy man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I remember going to Leeds Festival. Was that your first like your first night out was Fat Boy Slit, like your probably, first proper, yeah, like, so, probably something like that. Um, we used to go to stuff like we used to, I remember going to see Snow Patrol when I was about sixteen as well. Okay, yeah, and that was one of the unique gigs. You always used to go out and see see my first ever gig. Yeah, I went with my mum and dad. And I went to see Sting. Nice, which is a hell of a hell of an introduction to music. But um, he's from of, Ashington, where I'm from. King of the Jones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I remember going to Leeds Festival with a lot of my friends, and there was obviously a dance tent there. And I remember. Bex DJ Swamp was there. Okay. So it was a lot of the DMC kind of stuff, like scratching yeah. kind of scratching vibes. And I just spent the whole time in there. But at, but at this point, like, you're still not really thinking that you want to be a DJ. You just I was DJing. Right. And I had a love for music. I wasn't going, right, I need to make it. I need right, to okay. just, I need to go to Newcastle. Just, you're just basically enjoying music and enjoying Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, so then, like, once, when, when is that point then that, like, you sort of decide that you want to play music to other people like what I mean by that is like not just in your room and enjoying mm-hmm. it what's the point when you're like I want to be in a bar or in a club or like when's that thought process kind of come uh, in move to used to do uh, used to do whenever the people had parties around our area is that what yeah. you want to DJ or whatever yeah yeah cool no problems. and then um, moved to Newcastle and obviously started going out and seeing around Newcastle started to meet everyone and there's always house parties and that and you'd end up DJing and everyone's like 
So did you, you and why did you move to Newcastle? To get, Co- away, to get away from my parents. But was it not like college <laughs> or anything? Because did you? Did no, I, did, I went to do. Um, I went to do music at college and decided that that wasn't for me. Cause, it was because we literally had this. I had this conversation with James yesterday. I had the conversation with Paul last week, mm-hmm. and it all sounds like you all did the same course. Because I remember talking to you about this years mm-hmm. ago, and you're like, "Yeah, I signed up for like a music tech course, but then there was nothing electronic on it. They were just trying yeah, to show just, how to record yeah, drums." Yeah, exactly so, the same thing. <laughs> James exactly said the same thing. You left after three weeks because yeah. they were like, "And this is how you to record drums." He's like, "No, I'm not interested in recording drums. I don't care. I want, pro- mics, I want yeah. to make dance music." Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so you've moved to Newcastle and you start. Having a nice time, going out, yeah, getting, getting about, meeting people, just. If Ian but, Shepherd doesn't come up in this conversation, <laughs> I'm gonna, that, you'll get, you'll get I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be devastated. Um, so you DJ at like after parties and mates parties. Not, and, yeah, just when there's decks there, you put, yeah. put some records on. Everyone's like starting to get to know everyone and ha- hanging around, and then was playing at that point was playing hard house and. Like hard techno-y kind of stuff. And where did you like? Where did you? I'm always interested in people's like. How did you? Because it's not. It's not something. That's, it's easily easy to find hard dance. Really, like mm-hmm. it's not. It's not like. I mean, Jules is was playing trance, but no one's really playing hard dance on radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did you kind of find it? How are you exposed we, to that, that, that scene? Where did you just, find just it? Just from just. It's unessential. It's right. unessential. It uh, used to be an icon in Newcastle, so okay. I used to go. Used to go through there. Uh, kind of got into that, and then from that, it, it, it was always a little bit too happy for me that so I kind of got into a very dark side darker side of it a bit more okay. energetic and then more into, more into techno from from there um a lot always been kind of groove based the things oh like. were you buying that kind of music yeah yeah so yeah where, we used you, to, where were you buying it from one of my mates James used to work at um one of the record shops it wasn't called, wasn't Richard Sounds it was the one that was um just off Westgate Road and uh they used to get vinyl in so we'd okay. be trawling through stuff and we'd be picking what what we wanted to come in and what as soon as stuff come, would come in he's on the phone so what was it like tidy nebulous like what sort of stuff were you buying oh, or it's what? more more like vicious circle okay. kind of like kind of underground stuff I think we're about to get kids here yes you know, we were saying your mate used to work in a record shop yeah. so that's where you got the tunes from so when when was the first time that you kind of like got a gig that wasn't at a party like when was the first was it a bar? Was it a club? Like, not many hard house bars are there. Where, where did the surprise you... needs to be quite a, quite a scene in Newcastle, though. So, I'm trying to remember where the first time I played Newcastle. We used to there was cause and effect that used to be one of the art places. I don't think I ever played there. I used to go go there quite a lot. Uh, Kerry James used to run a couple of nights. I think I might DJ for her. I think one of the first gigs. I think we somehow managed to blag. To play in the back room of Sunday Central somewhere. Okay. Um, but then from there on, I met. I used to go to Nice a lot. Do you remember, do you remember Nice? Yeah, rock, yeah, rock shots. Skev and that. And um, what really pushed me on was they started the new club, the Cosmic Ballroom. Yeah. No, not the Cosmic Ballroom. Stage Door. Yeah, it was at the old um, Planet Earth. What 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 did they call that again? I can't remember. They, st- they started the, the, the quarters. No, we're getting confused. No, 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 no. Uh, Playrooms, play it was called. All right. Yeah, yeah, it was all Planet Earth, and um, they they had we used to do. They had two floors, and used to have, they had a Friday night free, and it was one night when Promise had shut. Okay. For refurbishment and foundation. Promise was every week at Foundation. Foundation, on yeah. And I went. I was like, look, I went. No one's got anywhere to go. Anywhere to go. I went. Let's get this. Let's get this sorted. Because I was like, did you go? Up, did you go to Foundation a lot? Like, did you, yeah, did, I used did to you go. go yeah, yeah. A lot? Right. yeah, I used to go. Yeah, Promise a lot. Yeah, yeah. And um, I went. Look, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing happening on this night. Let's let's chuck something on. We had like a, a month a month to like notice. Yeah, notice to run to run forward. Let's put some put some DJs on. Our DJ got some of the other local lads. Did you call it anything? Was it like was it? It was name? called Fractured. Fractured. Cool. I I, I didn't come up with the name. Skev came up with the name. Okay. Um, and obviously it was absolutely rammed. Yeah. No one had anywhere to go. We'd obviously put all the kids that I knew from around town. So they had... And they, again, they right, so, we're going, so we're going back in the day here. You couldn't just post on Facebook. So how did you tell people about it? It was, it was standard flyer. Right. Flyer and billboard promotion, wasn't it? Yeah. Jumping out the back of a car and <laughs> cable tying, yeah, a, yeah. Cable tying <laughs> a, a, a billboard to a lamppost. I remember we used to do those for God's Kitchen. Yeah, me and Tyson used to do it in Carlisle. PBH did it in... York, you were doing it. You've in got your to earn your dues. Do you know That's what I mean? Right? You've yeah. got to do that. You, if you're going to DJ, you're expected to do all the promotion as well. Yeah. It's not just like you can put a Facebook group together. So what happened to them? So then, like, what happened the week after? Did everyone go back to promise, or did you? 
So that's the thing. We had a we had a four week roll. We had a four week roll of like gigs and stuff. Obviously, the numbers dropped. Yeah. But I mean, the f- the venue was like we slammed five hundred people into a venue on opening night, and then obviously because of that, people were still coming to us, and obviously the, then it was kind of competition for for promise. Yeah. And I remember getting a phone call from uh, Mr. Mark Deacon. Yeah. About a week later, come what the hell are you doing? Basically. Yeah. You obviously started up a night in competition. Yeah. Who the hell are you? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I've got your number off Skev. And he was like... Classic. I'd love to have heard that conversation. Yeah. Skev's like, just ring Mark. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Obviously, everyone in that industry knew each other. And like, it's obviously kind of unwritten written rule. You don't go against each other or whatever. And he's like, like, Skev's like, oh, shit idea. He's doing it. So I got a phone, I got a phone call off Mr. Deacon. And he was like, uh, yeah, I, w- I want to meet you. I was like, right, okay. So I thought, right, I'll go, I'll go and meet him, see what's going on. Obviously, pretty unaware of the, the whole politics, the whole, ethics, the whole yeah, politics yeah. thing. And it was kind of, um, it was a kind of one of those where you just went, "Look, I want you to stop doing that." But the only way I can stop you doing that, I'm going to give you your own night. Right. Okay. So they gave me quality, which was their hard house night. The promise started doing. Okay. Where was it at? Foundation. Oh, on what? Oh, how did it work? So they used to do. That was the time where. The scene was kind of going from they were doing everyone was doing weeklies. Yeah, everyone started to do either bi-monthly okay. or monthly. So they used to run Promise every four weeks and then Quality every four weeks independently. Each other. And quality two. was like harder and darker. Yeah, and yeah. Promise was more trancy at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was okay. It was a bit it's just as it everything started to because it, it was a long period where everyone would, the club nights were running every single week, weren't they? Yeah, and, pe- and they expected to be full every single week, and then it just. Bars were open later. Yeah, People yeah. weren't going to, yeah. to carry on drinking, and it kind of. What was it called? Quality. Quality. So yeah. How long, how long did you do that for? How long was that kind of kicking off for? About. Must have been a year or so. They were, so they were kind of promoting it. Yeah. You were kind of the resident DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were they putting acts on as well? Yeah, there was acts, like massive hard dance acts, from people like the kind of the, from a broad spectrum of like Halliwell. Who would kind of tip the promise promise part over there, but you'd have people like Lisa Lashes or whatever who they couldn't put on as a promise, yeah, pr- a promise act. So people like Yoji Bayer, Mahanike, to like more kind of techno-y stuff and kind of a. Is he still going? Yoji, I don't know. I haven't spoken. He's to the guy with the hair, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Master dreadlocks. Yeah, I don't know. I assume so. Because I was always into like like we, obviously we've talked about this before, but I was always into the more like shindig housey scene mm-hmm. side of it. So, but I remember looking at like the DJ Mag Top Hundred, and I always remembered like seeing Yoji because you're like, who's that guy? Well, that's, that's USP, isn't it? It's yeah. like I'm gonna look like this, and these people are good. So then, so so at this point, like, because it's the same question that comes up time again. Like at this point, are you like, yeah, man, this is what I want to do. Or was this just like a side thing? Like I don't really know what I'm doing, but this is kind of cool. Or were you were you starting to go? I want to be a DJ. I want to like this. I want to. I like... don't. I don't think I've ever like gone. This is what I've got to do. I think the I think the one the one thing that I from as this was going on, it wasn't. It wasn't. I, I've got to be a DJ. That was the moment when I went. I've got to be a producer. Right. Okay. So that, what, that, yeah, I was gonna say. Well, that was the next question. At what point were you like? What, at what point did it open your eyes to that side of things? I think. I think from going, looking at looking at DJs, the last set of DJs that would, obviously I must have wanted to know to get a career in it. Though I wouldn't be thinking of it yeah. as longevity, but to look at Halliwell and Zabelia with like the literally the last DJs that have come through as just as DJs. Yeah, Yousef on the other side of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and you were getting people like. Tim Deluxe or whatever from your house side of it, and everyone who's writing record writing records. And in my in my um, spectrum was like someone like Paul Maddox or whatever who yeah. was putting out a lot of records, and all of a sudden was DJing everyone. I went yeah. right, that's because I was I was playing for I was playing for uh, Good Grief at, the, at that point as well, and playing down at Tall Trees. And so was that Barry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. through Barry. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> so I was like doing warm ups th- warm ups there. In the, in how the did room. you how did you kind of fall into that scene? Like how, not scene, but how did you how did was Barry just aware of you because of quality? Yeah, yeah, from like, quality we did quality and good grief. Okay, combined things of obviously promising good promising good grief. We done I done God's Kitchen as well, and that was all kind of amalgamated through the through the same kind of scene. And obviously, I was kind of running quite. So I was on the phone to people all the time, like for bookings and stuff. I was okay. kind of like, I was obviously it was it was Mark Deaton's thing, where I was kind of heavily involved with it and um, just getting to know everyone in the scene. So it kind of just evolved, evolved from there. And obviously, I must have been all right at what I was doing to be given the chance to do. Were you mucking about with Cubase, Ableton, Logic at this point? Or? I am. Um, 
Well, can you remember the first time you I remember to... using reason when okay. I was about 17, 18 back at home and not really knowing what I was doing, just messing yeah. around. And I was just like, I realised, obviously, that people were make, making music and that's how they were progressing. I thought, well, I don't know how to do this. I'm going to have to pay someone to do it, as I would have a client nowadays. So I spent some time with Alex Carver. I went with Colin Barrett, um, who's obviously Houseworks now. Yeah. Um, and just absorbed information I, I went obviously to make music and I had quite a few hard dance releases and stuff um, but I just went to learn and prior to this you didn't have any musical background you hadn't... I still don't I still can't yeah. play an instrument yeah yeah you know, you know music theory now but I mean like at this mm-hmm. point you weren't you hadn't been playing piano you hadn't mm-hmm. like you probably stuck a recorder up you know as a primary school oh yeah there. also but yeah but you weren't like grade 3 at the piano or anything like that you no, were just, no, you were just no. learning the, the, like, yeah, yeah. The, the, the technical side I've always, for me it's always been beats and beats and rhythm I think that's why I gravitate to dance music it's always about that kind of vibe rather than, than the, obviously the music is important but for that point I was never really concentrating so, on that at so all. where was the kind of like where was the, the crossover then? At what point were you like... Because I guess, obviously, we sat here now and you know, we'll get to where we are now, like, or where you are now, mm-hmm. but like, was it, at this point were you thinking, like, I want to make records because then I'll get more DJ gigs? Yes. Right. Yeah. So, so at this point you're like, make records. More, no, more, right. more, yeah, more yeah. money, more yeah. gigs, mm-hmm. more girls. More girls, yeah. <laughs> more free drinks, more so, girls. Yeah. So, so, how long is, so how long is this sort of period of time? You started doing quality, you said that was going on for a kind of a year. Then were you do more and more bookings, or were you like were you a resident? Yeah, I used, else, to, used to do. I used to do good. Gr- used to do um, good grief, and then we started. We started a small after kind of foundation finished. Um, I went. To, I went to work um, for Nice again okay. for Skev and that, and they opened up the Cosmic Ballrooms. Yeah, and we started Junior G. Me, That's right. Me and Barry from uh, Good Grief. Yeah, so we ran. Knew that was you. Yeah, yeah, we we uh, we started that. Um, was that like a fr- every Friday? Every Friday, yes, and that that did because the venues weren't so weren't so big. It was probably about four five hundred capacity. Ooh, it was quite easily it was quite easily filled. So some good acts on there, two rooms, and at that point was the kind of crossover point where I stopped doing as much of the harder stuff and started to really bring myself back into like a 130 BPM Was that like trancey? It was more like Progressive Sivers D kind of yeah. like techie kind of stuff Yeah A lot of Liga and it was playing a lot more Electro Electro was getting quite big at that point uh, a lot of Trent Mollery stuff it was still obviously quite I'm still waiting for Shep and Cosby to come up in this is, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, it was um Starting to play a lot more house, which was probably under the influence of Ian Shepherd, I used to, who I used to used to live with, and I started to change my tempos. Obviously, as you get get a little bit older, you, you kind of when you were younger, you want faster tempos, whatever. And as you get a little bit older, your, te- your tempo start to come down. What was that night that that Shep did um, the funky house kind of like night? Can you remember what it was called? We used to, used to have loads on the go, didn't we? Used to have one in. Was that was that what, pre this, or was it about the same sort of about time? About the same sort of were they, time. Were they, were they doing like? Because it was when Cosy was doing like the back room at like Love Doe and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, well, yeah, him and Shep used to do Love Doe. We used to do. There was a, what was the Friday at then, Icon? And then Electrica thing. Like obviously you. So where does Electrica fit into this? Well, Electrica was me and Dino. Yeah. And Dino. Dino. So where this, is that way after Baby G, or is it about the yeah, same? Yeah, yeah, that was after Junior oh, right, okay. G. Yeah, that was a long time after. Sorry, Junior G. Um, yeah, the electric came around from from Mr. Rig. So, oh, well, let's not jump ahead. So, you're doing you're doing the Junior G thing, and at this point, are you like, are you putting little edits out? Are you putting like anything out? Like, I was put, yeah, I was putting mu- putting music out. More that was towards the hard dan- dance side, but I was obviously starting to write underground kind of like housey kind of stuff with my kind of edge. And from that, I remember meeting. Andy uh, Andy Durant and Nick Riley Riley and Durant at the time who were on yeah, go Galaxy. on Galaxy and I, I as my tempos dropped I'd still play main room but I'd play warm up and I love doing a warm up I love to really like start with like Kalkenbrenner kind of underground techno yeah. and start to build a beat up and just start to get a, a room going and no one else really liked to do that and I used to love taking two hours and <coughs> doing that and I was on before Nick and Nick and Andy um, and me standing four decks on the go at once, as many records as I can have flipping back and forward. Obviously, with my ADHD, just getting bored of one record, having to have so much stuff going on. And then the next day, my, my mate Faz, remember, I don't know yeah, if you yeah. remember Faz, brings us up and oh, going, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, he goes, they've just been talking about you on Galaxy. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I've just been listening to Ryan Durant. And they went, they've just literally been talking about this warm-up DJ. A gig last night, it was absolutely smashing the arse off it. And how, how it's, a, it's a, an art that not yeah. many people gravitate to. And, and they've read my name and whatever. So got in touch with them and I went, oh, thanks, really, thanks for that. And Nick, so how did so, so that email? How did you get in contact with them? Because it's not the days of like Twitter and like, no, no, it's not I'm as easy as it is I must now, have got so. an email off someone or okay. I, well, probably, probably Barry, Barry will have put us in touch right. probably. Yeah. And uh, I, I, just, I sent Nick an email, thanks very much for, for saying that. And he was like, oh, if you've got any music or whatever, send us it through. So I'd, I'd done a track with, with Alex Ferrier called The Test. Yeah. And then they just were playing it on Galaxy constantly from them. Was this pre-Electric Playground time, or did they have that? They, they were just starting Electric Playground okay. off at the time. Which was like a label in it and also a club and yeah, yeah. stuff. So they were starting off. Obviously went and dj for them for a little bit. <clears throat> and they rang us up after about six months of sending them records as I was writing them. I went on their show, the New Breed Show, a couple of times. Yeah. And obviously stayed in touch with, with them because they're such good guys. And they were like, look, we've got a studio in in Leeds. Would you want to come down and... Maybe do some engineering for us and engineering for other people or other clients because obviously I was taking more my time then was taking up about writing music and learning learning how to make music. So I ended up ended up moving moving down to Leeds and they were sharing a studio with the Utah Saints at that yeah. time. And just you had the broom covered. I, I had the I broom covered. Well. Yeah, yeah. I remember it well. Well, there was we shared three studios and I always seemed to have the small <laughs> the small one. But from from then on, it was obviously. I'd, I moved to Leeds and that that was the first step I went right I, I'm obviously trying to do this now rather than just like party here party there I think, I think a lot of people in. I think a lot of people falling it makes it sound like there's no thought at all mm-hmm. but from like doing it's this it's like a stream pod- it's yeah, like yeah but from doing this podcast very few people that I spoke to have just said yeah when I was 15 I decided I was mm-hmm. going to be a DJ or working music. Mm-hmm. Everyone's kind of like, well, then I, yeah, then I started doing that, and then that kind of led to this, and then, mm-hmm. then I was just doing it. Yeah, like well, that's what it is. All of a sudden, it's like you realise, hang on, I'm self-sufficient yeah. now. My mum probably wouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't afford. God that. bless the mums out there that, <laughs> that have helped the most of dance music. I don't think she, even now she thinks I'm self-sufficient. Um, it was you kind of going, all right, people pay me to do this, and. People want to come in the studio with me, and and you go, all oh, right, okay, and then you start to go, all oh, right, make a bit a bit of money doing this, and you go, right, okay, this must be the the career path I'm I'm taking, be it the right one or the wrong one, but you go, it starts to flow like it says, like a stream, it's like water coming from the top of a mountain. At yeah. first, it's slow and it just starts to build up, and hopefully, you take the right path. Then you spend seven hundred pound on light bulbs. Then just, <laughs> <laughs> there were fifty quid. HMRC. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, it's all declared. Um, but so, at what point? Because then, when I when I first met you, obviously, like Faz put me in contact, and, and I mm-hmm. came down to that studio and yeah. to, to work with you. And like, but when was the point? Like, obviously, we'll, we'll come, but it's obviously a, a bit of a DJ podcast. Like, at what point did you like decide to stop DJing? Obviously, I know you then came and DJ electrical and stuff, mm-hmm. but like, you stopped doing Gatecrasher, God's Kitchen, mm-hmm. Junior. At what point did you kind of did you decide to stop it? Yeah. Right, okay. It's because I was li- I was literally working in the studio f- six days a week. I was doing five days, Monday to Friday, a gig on a f- Friday night. I'd then be in the studio for someone on a Saturday. And I remember one point, I finished the full week, having done the Friday, Saturday engineering, drove to Glasgow, played a gig in Glasgow for my mate Rob, and then drove all the way down and played in Sheffield at six o'clock in the morning. And I went... That's enough. Right. I went. The money from DJing is now less than the money from producing. Yeah. And I can sit in my pajamas. And then, and then, it's not something that's that I don't think might have come up with PBH, but more so, you'll be hot on this than anyone else. It's also your ears as well, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of it, yeah. I mean, I was all like, you've known. I always have yeah. my earplugs and what have you. If, I, if I'm, if I, even if I'm at a gig, yeah. like, I, I've got to have my earplugs in before I'm before I'm just obviously look after look after your money makers. But it's it was it was a bit of a thought like that uh, that God, this is this is quite extreme. And obviously, in the studio, you're gonna have it loud every now and again. But it's only it's not for the extended period of time. Whereas when you when you're but DJing, that's two it, hours, or you're slamming it. It's very different. Like I, I, I've become a little bit more used to it but I remember the first few times I'd come and see you 
and you'd be in a dead room, mm-hmm. then I'd leave. I'd find it really hard, like because I have tinnitus. Like I've mm-hmm. abused my ears over the years, and it's not a it's not a badge of honour. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 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 you know I'm, I'm embarrassed about it, but I haven't. Really, so common in the music. Yeah, I haven't really looked after my ears, um, and so I do have like you know tinnitus. Like I very rarely sit in silence because I just silence to me just sounds like a, a buzz yeah. I don't think about it these days I'm not mm-hmm. like looking for sympathy that's how it, so mm-hmm. I've always got a radio on in the background I've always got yeah, yeah, I've yeah. always got something going on but like I'm you know from you I think there is that that thing where you're like I don't need to be in ridiculously loud aggressive clubs if I'm mm-hmm. going to be working through the week and my ears are mm-hmm. my stock yeah. in trade I think it I think it was also the point where I've always had a real passion for wanting to learn things and I'm not the best DJ in the world, but I was pretty proficient at it. And then I think you were certainly very good, mate. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was music production. There was so much to learn, and it was just it was fascinating for me to be like, I've not been taught by anyone. I just had to work everything out myself, and I've loved doing that. And that, that's what kind of drives me. As soon as I hear a sound, even now I'll be like, how are we going to make that? I'll work out how it's done or whatever. And with kind of DJ, and I was like, yeah, you're playing some music, this and that. Obviously, kind of got me in into the industry and into into music and that. But it wasn't as exciting as the hearing a new record, like a Dubfire record at the time, or like emissions. You know what the hell's going on with that record? And you, which is super interesting because it's almost the converse of everyone else that's been, and it's why I wanted to do this with you because it's almost the converse of everyone else that's been on this podcast so far, and me, which is like. I just want to play music to people. Mm-hmm. Like, I had a night off from digital the week, and, like, I rang my mate up and asked him if I could go and play in his bar just because I was, like, sitting in the house on a Saturday night feels mm-hmm. like I'm just institutionalised. Yeah. And, like, I just want to go and play pe- people's, like, music to people. And to me, to a certain extent, it doesn't even really matter what that music is. Yeah. Like, I just want to, like... If you tell me I'm playing indie, because I was like, my mate's got an indie pub, and I was like, can I just come and play some indie upstairs? Yeah. He was like, yeah, of course you can, mate. And I was like, I was just having the time of my life. Like, I'm sure if I got the opportunity <coughs> to do it, I would yeah, do, I'm, I'm do not, it I'm again. Not, I'm saying, I'm, yeah, I'm not saying, you, you, but like, but just because you picked it there, that's not what drove you. Like, what mm-hmm. drove you was like working out how a record had been made, almost how to recreate it or how to make something different or like learn from it. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's like I say, the converse of most people, although James makes music, PBH makes music, like, you know, Sean makes music, everyone that's been on the podcast so far has, has made music. But I think you took that path. Almost DJing was like a stepping stone to where you want it to be. Yeah. As opposed it, yeah. to the, the full journey. Yeah, of course, yeah. So, like if, so if someone's listening to this and they're like, they're thinking about like getting into production, what would you, what sort of advice would you give? So if someone's just like, they might be doing a bit of DJing or they might not even be doing a bit of DJing and they're just like, like you were, I don't really have any musical background. Mm-hmm. What would you advise them to do? Like what software would you advise them to get? What would you like? Just what would you advise them to do? What would you, how would you I think that, obviously with software, there's there's that many different DAWs, which is obviously the digital audio workspace out there. That you and you can generally, I mean, I'm not condoning this kind of activity, but there's so much cracked software yeah. out there. And it's not that it's not that these companies don't know it's there. They're quite happy for people to probably to get a hold of this software and have a little try with try with stuff. And I was going to say, I mean, I, I I definitely had a, like a cracked copy of. Available and then I bought it. Mm-hmm. So I think exactly lot, I think once you get into people, it, and yeah. I'm sure every, everybody does it. Yeah. If once you start, like it says, if once you start to make a bit of money out of it, then you go and, you'll go yeah. and buy the software. So they can go and try 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 all the different softwares out and find what works for you. I've got loads of clients who are working Ableton, people who are working Cubase or Personas or Logic or Pro Tools. It's it's horses for courses. It's whatever whatever feels. So you don't think there's like an entry level one that like is, is like the easiest for someone to just get going? I don't know because I don't want to undermine any software. I wouldn't, okay. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. It's it, everything's got its own it's got its own basics. So Ableton's obviously a great one for people just picking stuff up because it's so intuitive and easy to learn. Yeah. And a lot of people have obviously started DJing. Pro Tools is obviously something that I use for mixing records now, but it, it's took me some time to learn that, and it's not something that's intuitive to start learning on. So maybe you'd maybe stay away from that. Logic through Logic is my predominant thing to write in. I can write in Ableton as well, but it's for anyone who's starting Ableton probably a pretty good, a pretty good. And it's start like I haven't, I haven't like gone this deep with anyone else, but because it's kind of your specialist point, I'm going to keep keep going. Like, is it better to just like? So is it better to just? get a copy of Ableton Logic and just open it and start messing around or is it better to get yourself a piano and start learning both musical theory like both I'd say both <coughs> try and learn as much as you can you you need to sit and listen to records and work out how it's made work out the obvious things of like four kicks and two claps and where you're putting other bits of music and once you start working out those basics the, ev- the rudimentals of every single record pretty much 
of what and how it's how it works and work out what tempos are what kind of how song structures work how often things change what how much musical content you need for a certain genre of music and just start just to in, in buy yourself with all that kind the, of over the years like when I've been sat in the studio and we've kind of googled like how to make this Daft Punk record or whatever and watch someone recreate from the samples mm-hmm. but is there any like sources of things that you've come across over the years that like is there a book that you would go like or is there a, a YouTube channel or course that you would be like look just check that out like is there anything that you can remember that just sort of springs to mind that you're like that is such a great like you know those in the studio videos for example is there anything that you're like that's a great place to start like watching stuff reading mm-hmm. stuff well, I mean obviously it's quite a fan of watching stuff like the feature feature music magazine stuff computer yeah. music magazine and any content there's so much out there on YouTube now that you find out and so people are, too much it is I mean <laughs> there is a hell of a lot of stuff but nowadays you really can sit and um, sit and go through YouTube stuff and accelerate the learning process that took me so long Whereas before all that, it, you you would literally have to listen to something over and over again and work out what the hell's going on. I use analyzers a lot to try and help me help me learn those kind of things. And but now, but so, now it's all there. For it's you. interesting because so yesterday I was with James and, and he was sort of saying like, and you all get this as well. How we got better at DJing was by getting what he was saying, like you know, bad gigs where he was like playing for six hours at a mm-hmm. time, and like because no one's gonna. St- no one most people don't stand in the house and practice for six hours yeah but if you're getting paid ten or an hour to stand in a bar and even if there's only the bar staff and a couple of people you have to DJ for six hours yeah you've got to and, do and if you do that every time you get better so you kind of did that with the whole moving to Leeds thing mm-hmm. you were kind of almost forced into not forced into yeah, that mix doing itself, different kind yeah, of music you yeah. were almost like you were there going oh I just have to engineer like mm-hmm. five days a week and it's, then, what, like, it's not my music it's not particularly my taste I've just got to sit it would not saying that it wasn't my taste, but it wouldn't have been the record I would have made that yeah. day if I was sat on my own, of course, yeah. That's well interesting, that that's kind of like almost, not forced you to learn, but enabled you to, to learn. But you, yeah, you'd have a different client every single day, and they'd be bringing you a different, obviously a lot of times you get the same kind of records. Yeah. But you'd have a different record, like, I really want it to sound like this, and at that point, you've got to be able to listen through that record, and go, these are the fundamental things, it's got this much bass, or it's doing this, or it's got piano, piano or it's this kind of genre of music, it's doing this, and it's it builds up a lot, or it's kind of atmospheric, and you've got to be able to pinpoint exactly what these things are, and then just go, get it down to recreating it. And obviously at that at that stage, when I first moved out to Leeds, I was, could write music, but not not to the standard I couldn't can now. So it takes you a bit longer. So some, it was like high, stre- high stress, but you just had to get on and deal with it. You just had to try and figure out what, what was making these records work? So obviously, sometimes you don't get it right, but a lot of times you just kind of just grit your teeth and just go for it. Like, like the example, of those gigs you were just saying that yeah. it's it's almost seemed like a job at those kind of points, but you you were you were cutting your teeth on it. You were like you were getting better at something, so you never felt like you were wasting your time. And I, and I think like what's interesting here is and like so so for people that like either aren't in the industry at all or are kind of like in the industry a little bit like might just be doing the odd gig on a weekend or whatever does this whole like and it sort of blew my mind and still does to some points we were just talking about before like there's this whole like background to the industry that a lot of people don't see yeah so there's like obviously there's mix engineers there's writers there's there's mastering guys like there's Mm -hmm. different people specialize it but a lot of those people will collab and work behind the scenes when we were just talking about the fact that kind of camel fat wrote the, the 17 record mm-hmm. for MK and there's a lot of stuff like again like I think it was um, PBH was talking about like you know Mark Knight and he was kind of saying mm-hmm. that you know he has a whole team around him mm-hmm. helping him write and you know everything else and like what 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 have you sort of learned in the last well, 10 years now or so but what have you sort of learned that kind of really you were like wow I didn't really understand that used to, that goes on in the industry like what have you now learned because now it's every day to you but mm. what 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 now are you like wow I just... well I th- obviously I, th- I think you kind of in the question you kind of answered it it's the fact that at first you believe these entities these pop artists or DJs they they do everything yeah and a lot of people a lot of people do and a lot of people are very proficient on it but you can't do everything like I can't do everything. Writers can't do anything. You can't write a record. Some people can't. Some some people get pretty damn close. You look, Calvin Harris. He's pretty damn. Good. There's, yeah. there's still people behind them. But he's not mixing his own records. He's not mastering his own record. Yeah, you can't do everything. You pick the people who are the best at the jobs to do those bits. You couldn't get one person to completely build your house. 
they couldn't do the electrics, they couldn't yeah. do all the plumbing. You get the best builder, you get the best plumber, you get the best electrician, you get all the best things and put it together and hopefully that's the best product that you can put out there. I guess I was leading you, as you pointed out, to that point. And I think my point would then be like, there is a lot of ways, or there are a lot of ways to earn a living and be part of this industry yeah. that aren't as obvious to you when you're maybe 17 mm-hmm. and you just see a guy, you know, you just see Patrick Topping or mm-hmm. Fisher playing records in a nightclub mm-hmm. and you just go, oh, so that's the only way to, yeah, to yeah, earn yeah, a living out of this. And there's like, there's lots of different ways. There's obviously been DJs. You've mentioned like Riley Durant who, who were first sort of DJs then they were radio presenters. Now they own like a podcast mm-hmm. and distribution company. Mm-hmm. You know, again, you're like predominantly... Well, we touched on this at the start. So what would you say you predominantly are in the music industry? I mix and fix records predominantly. So that's more than a, than a writer, you would say that you, 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 you get sent things that are almost finished. Yeah. Or, or someone thinks they're finished. Yeah. <laughs> and you then make them, make them like club and radio ready uh-huh. and sometimes do some work on yeah, them. Yeah, so it's, we, we class it in the business as ad prod, which is additional production on top of, okay. a, on top of a mix. A lot of times you'll get a mix or you'll get stems sent through for a mix and I'll be like, I'll so, so let's so let's just backtrack a second there, right? So people who don't understand this, because I didn't used to understand this and there'll be loads of people who don't understand this. Talk us through like what the, like, what the mastering process is Mastering or mixing? Well, both. Both. Just explain them. So, explain I mean, them in so, sort of layman's terms for someone that just doesn't understand. Okay, okay. And I obviously don't understand because I'm <laughs> too there. So, master mastering process is when a track's been finished and and you you want that record has to sit for radio quality. It's got to meet certain specifications. It's got to sound as good as it, the best it possibly can. When it comes to a mixing a record, you're taking all the individual elements of the track to make all those sound as good as they can. To sound, make the record completely whole and make it sound like it's got. So, the is, would mastering be a like a flat, complete single? Yeah, that's file. When when you receive a promo or you get by something on Beatport or off iTunes, that's the mastered file. You get one file, which is the whereas mastered. mixing, you would get stems. We get you get the length of each one of those each one of those master files. Yeah, split up into everything from kick to hi hat, bass to bass, vocals, all the instrumentation, all laid. So you can see you see them all on a page, and then you. The How often through. would you master a record that you haven't mixed? Quite often, I've done three already today. Would <laughs> it's knocking them out, mate? <laughs> would would why would you get why would you have a different person mix a record and a different person master a record? Because a mastering engineer and mix engineers tend not to sit in the same scope. Like, I'll do... Obviously, I do... I'm predominantly a mix engineer, but I'll do a lot of dance mastering because I've got a kind of certain sound and the gear that I have kind of... People come to me because they like the sounds of other records that I've done. But with a predominant mastering service, mastering engineer service, that's what they do. They they are a lot higher qualifications than me and a lot okay. of better specifications for me. For, probably say for pop. The pop industry mastering is a, a very, very high sought-after sought after job. But in the dance industry, I think it's a lot of people just expect they can put a limiter on the end of a at the end of their project. Yeah. Despite hours, I can bring a little bit more depth to it like that. But it's people don't want to spend money on big mastering studios for underground records. So really. and like so brand wise, like obviously, obviously Mark Maitland, as James Hyde was saying, is your government name. Mm-hmm. But you, 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 you never really had your brand as a DJ was Mark Maitland. Mm-hmm. Like that's what you yeah. DJed under. Then, as you kind of were doing more and more production and more and more writing, you kind of had a record and it was coming out under Anakin. Yeah. So where did that like? It's a great question to ask. Where did where did? So obviously, someone told you you had to come up with a brand. Yes. Well, it got. We did a record. Me and one of the guys called James from from the same series we were talking about before. We did a record, and Jez from the Utahs, obviously, I've become really good friends with. He sent it to. Um, his mate Andy Thompson, who used to run Double F Double R with Pete Tong, yeah, um, and they loved it, and they were they want they relaunched Double F Double R with that record, um, which was quite quite interesting, and it was it was quite nice because obviously the Utah's career was originally started by Pete Tong on Double F Double R, and then they kind of sent the record in and kind of got that brand going on there, which which was quite quite cool, but. It kind of, that record kind of came out just as EDM was kind of petering. I don't off think. A it, I mean, bit. I don't think it was an EDM record. I think it was like a. It was kind of like a. What's it called again? 
it was uh, Love is Blind, wasn't it? That was when they changed the vote. It was called Point Blank. Point Blank. So, originally, but if yeah. you go and listen to it, I don't think it's EDM. It was that sort of. It was that sort of. Swedish it was electronic, progressive yeah. electronic stuff. It mm-hmm. wasn't like it wasn't like Hoovers and Horns EDM, no. like, like basically. But I think the, the, I'm more interested in the sort of background of it. It's like, so how did you decide on that name? Like, where did that come from? It was a horse race. <laughs> it was just like a load. Of, I was looking through names. I was told yeah. I was like, we basically went to the meeting. They went right. We're going to sign this. You need to come up with a whole new brand name. And I was like, right, okay, because I had, like I hadn't been DJing at that point for ages. Yeah, absolutely ages. And I went right. We're going to push this as a brand. I was like, right, throwing right back in the mix again. I was like, okay. So I was like, right, we've got to come up with some branding, come up with the name, come up with this and that. So sat for the whole weekend, just trying to come up with ideas. I just I knew I just wanted something that was like one word, something. That kind of meant everything and nothing at exactly the same same thing. And it was just like scrolling through names and names and then it was a horse race. I think it was on the television or something, okay. and that was the that was the name of the horse. And obviously, I understand the kind of link to Star Wars, but it was never that was never it. And it okay. was like it was. Uh, I was like, that's it. That feels right. And I was like, well, I'll just use that. Cool. From that on, everyone, I was, everyone was in this kind of. Everyone was kind of part of it, so there's obviously Utah's were part of it, Annie Thompson Tong, everyone had kind of a part of what this brand was going to be because they obviously wanted to push it quite heavy. And I've got Mr. Nicky Romero on the remix, and they wanted to really, really push this brand, so everyone had a little bit of in- input into it and decided whether they liked it or not. And everyone was like, Yeah, that's it, we'll go for that. Cool. So from that, I was like, Right, okay, that's that done. Nice. And then, did you have, if I remember right, did you have a bit to do with the Utah's redo of something? It wasn't something good. good. It was um, what can you do for me that I did. What can you do for me? So, like, just talk about again for people that like don't I don't fully understand, but like talk a little bit about that process. So, obviously, it's a Utah Saints record mm-hmm. had a sample in it. Yeah. But what did what was the process like? What did you do? Like, what, how did you like just what was, what was so it? they'd they'd obviously had a couple of years prior to that that had um, something good. Oh eight, it come out. Yeah, and it was a huge hit. Well, absolutely massive record. And was, they started redoing what can you do for me? Um, and they did a version and they handed it to. Drum sound and bassline Smith for a remix, so we kind of had this kind of dubstepy kind of vibe going on, and then drum sound and bassline Smith had a drum and bass one going on. Yeah, and some clever so and so at Ministry went, "Can you put them together?" <laughs> and we we're like, "Right, one's it, one's at 180, one's at like 140 half step," and we we're like, "Can we do this?" and we ended up managing to pull it off, and it sounds it sounded really really good. So I did a lot of the lot of the kind of like production and help on that to try and we had to obviously re get the re get the vocal redone. And I spent a long time like basically EQ. We were talking about replay heaven yesterday mm-hmm. with James. Yeah. So was that was that replay? I think heaven? yeah. I think um, Hal from Replay Heaven had done. I think it was originally Annie Lennox vocal. Yeah. So he'd redone all the bits and pieces. And I'd literally sat with DJ Tim from the Utahs and we literally EQ'd every syllable to fit identically to how it sounded originally with the Annie Lennox one, like using match EQs and just try to sit and get everything as as close as you possibly can. You want to almost be at the point where someone's questioning whether it's... You're the perfect person for this. Explain the legality or the reasons behind why you would get something replayed why would you go to such lengths to try and make sound something something sound like the original when the original exists so it's it's the ownership so if you sign a record you sign the record off to the record label and the record label then own the master rights for yeah that. um you retain the publishing which is the what well, uh, the person who writes the record retains the actual the the musical part of it but the mastering rights is owned, owned by the label so i mean we just we just finished a couple, a couple of records and you you've if you use a sample, if you want to continue to use the actual sample, you'd have to you have to clear the publishing with the with the artist originally. Said, yeah, we okay you to use this record, and they can refuse. They can refuse. Yeah. So if so if they refuse the publishing, does that mean the, re- the record's just dead? That's dead in the water. Yeah. So yeah. even if you get it replayed, doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. You've so, got to clear the pub- They've so, got to clear. The- so you've got to clear the publishing, and in clearing the publishing. Do you negotiate, or do they do they demand what they want, or do you negotiate? Pretty much, because the 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 last freak record that we put out, which is another one of our monikers, has a chic sample in it. Yeah, and Mr. Nile Rogers took us for seventy five percent of the publishers. So he said, "That's fine, boys. You can use that sample, but I'll be having seventy five percent 
of the publishing of that record. Yeah. So then, but then you still had to get it replayed. Because if we didn't get it replayed, yeah, he'd take money off the master master royalties as well. Okay. So if we if we use his audio, therefore the label and him would take <coughs> would take would take most of the money off that. So to have it replayed might cost a couple of grand through Hal to redo yeah. it, who basically would take any any song you send him and come up with the most phenomenal yeah. <laughs> replay and send you it back. Um, it means you then might lose a couple of grand on having that redone, but you retain all your master, your master uh, revenue, whereas other, other than that, it would have gone to the original artist where you And do you have, sampled. like, do you have, like, what... what what swings in your favour or against your favour? So yesterday I, I remember saying to James, like, you know, is, is it is it not easier now to get a better percentage? Because if you're trying to get a sample, there's a chance that you might do well with that record because you're James Hype and you had it, you've had a hit. And he said, no, not really, because because you've had a hit, they think that there's more money to be yeah, of course. had. So like, but then there's that fine balance where like, how likely is it that people are going to clear samples for people they've never heard of? Because it, you know, it, it's a f- it, it's it, it, that is quite a quandary because if you like you said what James said if you're quite well known they're going to try and try and get a little bit squeeze a little bit more out because they they think you need to get that record out when right. actually you've probably got a load of records and if something falls by the way yeah it might have been a killer record but if it's not going to go out it's not going to go out and in the DJ world who's to say you just put that out as a white label do you know yeah. what I mean and you go right okay well if you're going to be that stubborn there's a bit of ebb and flow that's why obviously management would come in but the thing is you're always going to get a response if you've if you're quite a big artist Whereas if you if it's someone just starting out, you don't know how to get a hold of these people. How you yeah. how you speak to the companies who own the publishing for these certain artists. Obviously, predominantly, obviously with James Factor, or I have with Will Lowstepper, is the records assigned on using a sample, and then the record label will help you either get the sample replay yeah, on, and, and they'll contact the publisher. That's a really good point because I was going to sort of say like if you're sat at home somewhere thinking, oh, I'd love to, I've got a really good idea with this this record, and I'm going to make it. And Seagal is a really good example mm-hmm. of this. Like, so you're saying, don't be put off by using samples. Use it all the time. You, you know, use them, mm-hmm. and then when that label is when that track's presented to a label, there's a chance that that label's going to help you do all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. So don't stress out. Yeah, about, yeah. Don't try worry about trying to replay yeah. and like don't even try. No, not at all. If the idea is a solid enough idea, then they, that once a label sign it, they'll do the legwork for for that. That's what they're there to do. And have you got any like? Have you got any advice for people who are trying to like not so much that you know we, we talked about the starting off thing, but like how do you think now you would get noticed as a producer? How do you think you know what do you do? Like what would be your advice to someone if they're sat at home and they've got a few records? What should they do? I mean, should they stick them all on SoundCloud? Should they send them to labels? Like you know, you've been in the industry a while now. What what's what should people do if they've got some some music? I think you just got to, you've got to get out there. You've got to you've got to have people talking about you and and have people listen to music so you obviously yeah put it on SoundCloud but the more labels like to see now especially from someone brand new is a kind of a following which is obviously difficult to get but yeah. people can quite, e- yeah, can quite easily pay for SoundCloud likes or yeah. YouTube likes or Twitter or whatever Instagram so you, the, the, you've got to kind of take everything with a pinch of salt but you do kind of need to see that there's a brand already there obviously quite Lucky in my place now that I can start something new and know that a label's going to take it straight away. Because it's coming from you, coming from although me, it's yeah, a new yeah. brand, it's coming yeah. from your email. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that that that's okay. But if you're starting for fresh, it can obviously be quite daunting because it's so saturated. Obviously, coming into the industry my way, there wasn't there's never as many people DJing or making music. Yeah. Now it's it's commonplace for people to, be able to get a hold of, like we discussed before any kind of software and just be making some music. And there's nothing to say that that record that they're writing isn't the next hit yeah. because it, it's all about the idea it doesn't even matter nowadays what it sounds like because there's people like me at the end of the end of those record labels yeah. who are there to take records that have already been written who are a wicked idea just not polished and someone else have and you said that it. to me years ago and it's something that I've like passed on to people as well which is like don't really worry about the final product mm-hmm. worry about the idea worry yeah. about the creation because there's someone somewhere who can make it sound mm-hmm. Who can make it sound great? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, look at levels by 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 Avicii. Yeah, I mean that that was that was an idea that was rough, and I think it was EDX or one of EDX's yeah. guys that ended up fin- finishing that up. And obviously, the idea that record could have come out the way it did, where it was, and it would have still been an absolute smash because the idea was of was there. But there's always going to be someone to take that 
to the next level and just make it sound a little bit more polished. So what sort of stuff, we're not going to play anything because it's a spoken word podcast, but what sort of stuff are you writing now? Like what kind of influences are you, like what vibe are you going on? Are you like, are you seeing the future of the music industry and trying to be there or are you just writing stuff that you like? Like what are you vibing at the minute? I think if, it's that's a difficult one to answer because I think you've always got to have your finger kind of on the pulse but also try to look a little bit ahead of what you want to be writing for clients and where they're going musically, where they're DJing. But you've also got to remember that if you try to chase stuff, you'll end up making a lot of music that you might not particularly like. I mean, we went through that for a yeah. bit, didn't we? And it rather than just going, I always say to people who come in the studio with me, because you're spending money at the end of the day and there's no guarantee that you're going to see that revenue back. Yeah. I always go, um, in 10 years' time, if you look can look back on that record and be happy that you did it even though it made no money and because you wrote it with integrity and passion yeah then that's not money lost whereas if you try to chase an industry and write music to try and get yourself a hit or whatever and you go oh, well that was money down the drain do you know what yeah. I mean? if you if you enjoyed the writing process and enjoyed doing it then that's what you've got to keep doing so for me personally for writing we've been doing me and tim have been doing this freak thing and it's music that we enjoy in making having a little bit of a tip back to the kind of old roulette kind of stuff, and okay, like which is all French yeah. record label where Daft Punk originated from, and just kind of try to put our own little modern twist on that because that's what we want to do for that brand. Because obviously, I get a, I I have the ability to write for different other people, so I get to do a lot of different styles of music. It obviously stops me from getting stale. And from so when I go back to writing for my own stuff and go right, this is what I'm concentrating on doing. That's what I'm going to try and do. So you obviously always try to write a hit. Yeah. You obviously try to make the record the best it can possibly be, but you've obviously got to stick to stick to your guns and go. This is what I'm doing. This is my brand. If it works, it works, and if not, then I'm having fun doing it. Something else I'd like you to sort of explain, um, not like pounds and pence in your bank account, but like just for people who don't understand, like how do you earn money out of music? Do you know what I mean? So if so if mm-hmm. you write a record. Uh, or as I used to do, coming with you and write a record with you. How does just explain like like on a really rudimentary level, like how because you're not DJ anymore, right? You've DJed no. for years. No. I'm sitting in a very nice studio and you've got a very lovely house. Mm-hmm. Like how do how did not how do people earn money? How you know how is money paid out? Like how does it work to me personally? Or just no, just in general. general. So like just so people understand that like if if you know like someone writes a record, they don't explain like splits and like you know like how does it work? Like PRS, how do you get paid? Mm-hmm. Like do you get advances? Do you get um, payment like sales? Like just explain that side of the industry because you know it better than better than so, anyone. So I suppose well like on a, on a on a standard record, the whoever the artist is would sign an agreement with the record label, who would then if they believe in the record to be a revenue maker, let's say, and that's not, let's not use the word hit, Yeah, they would quantify what they believe that record to do by streams nowadays, record yeah. sales aren't so much. Spotify. But yeah, yeah, aren't, record sales aren't that important unless you're obviously going big. And then they, they would quantify what they think that's going to make. If they think it's going to make some money, they might give you an advance, so you might get anywhere from £500 to good few grand for the record and what does an ad- so I know this but what does an advance mean if you get say say um, you get a thousand pounds advance for your record because I got a shock about this what does that then mean so you basically get money up front up front on the signing of the contract yeah you're not waiting for the ra- the record label to account to you going you've sold X number of records you had so many thousands of streams you get 60 pence yeah you, they go right we believe this record's going to do X here's Here's a couple of grand to get it finished, or a couple of grand to say, right, this deal sign, and we believe in this, or whatever. And a lot of the time, they're paying you that advance so that someone else doesn't get it. Another lady, pretty much, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. So they go, we we'll give we'll put if you get a record um, that a couple of labels are interested in, then if that's obviously you've obviously nailed nailed the record there, and you, you you'll get a couple of offers off different labels, and you let. Some your management would maybe go right. Okay, well they're offering this or they're offering that, and yep. then you kind of you go right. What's best for the record? Who's offering the most money? And trying to find out exactly where you think the, the best. Home and how do you how do you have money on the back end of it? So you've written your record. Let's say you've had your thousand pound advance. Mm-hmm. The record comes out. When's when's the next time? Forget DJ and forget anything else. Mm-hmm. When's the next time you might see some money? 
So it's out, it's getting sold on Beatport, it's getting streamed on Spotify, it's getting played on Radio 1, might be on an advert. When do you see what? When do you see that money and how much of it do you... No, I don't mean actually pounds and pence, but yeah. when do you see it and like, when does it come to you? So obviously, when, if you once you sign your mastering rights off to the record label, you, you get your advance and if, you, what, if your record sales and streams go over the advance you've been paid, you've received money from them. Because that's the important bit. Yeah. They take the advance out of anything. Any, yeah. So you, yeah. That's, that's, you've got to recoup that money before you start to receive so apparently it. Apparently I still owe CRT, I think. Of course you do. <laughs> everyone, knows, everyone knows Mark Brown. Um, but how else can you see money? Like, like, what's the difference between... So is, is, it's not all the same pot. Like, So sales is different from publishing? Yes. So explain that. What's so you've got, you've got your sales and your mechanicals, and then you've got your publishing, which is... The, every writer who was involved receives a cut of the record. Yeah. So you could be the you could be the artist, but you could have a featured vocal on there. It was written written by someone. The vocalist would receive fifty percent. Yeah. The artist would receive fifty percent, and that's money that comes through that's given to PRS publishing through radio stations. Yeah. Your local cafe would have to pay money to have a radio playing. Yeah. Um, Tesco's anywhere there's, there's music being audibly heard they have to pay a subscription how long to after this record has come out am I getting money how probably never <laughs> <laughs> except that you're never getting any money but, no. but it is about nine months or something isn't it like accounting for spinning I think was like nine months so mm-hmm. like I remember when like the track that, San, that we did with Simon Kleinenberg came out I think came out in January mm-hmm. and I don't think I saw any money at all mm-hmm. so I got like a, a sales statement mm-hmm. which had like beat part on it and iTunes and stuff and I think I got a, f- a few hundred euros. Mm-hmm. Um, like, but I don't think that even that accounting process was until like the November or something. It of- should be every quarter. Right, okay. It should be every quarter, but it's obviously... There's that many records coming out on these labels you've got to make sure you're chasing up. The, other, the only thing that I've... PRS worked- is quarterly, isn't it? So PRS is so quarterly, that's, so that's yeah. publishing. So publishing is like if someone's played it on the radio, yeah. used it in an advert, mm-hmm. and you get like a full... Statement, don't you? And you can see like yeah, some yeah, of exactly. like Sky High had been played on like an Australian airline, and we got like thirteen pounds or something or for some it. fitness TV. Yeah, 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 but you kind of see everywhere that your music's been yeah. being used. Yeah, and then I mean, I still get a little bit, not very much, but like I guess people like you and we were discussing like Nathan C before, like people who are constantly writing music are kind of constantly You're building up this up, yeah. body of work <laughs> so that every quarter you're getting, you, yeah, know, you should be getting s- some good money. And that's where PPL comes in, because PPL's for performance. So I'm just filling my PPL you're filling in, in, in the moment. now, because PBH bollocked me for not, <laughs> not having... Well, you made there be a bit of money there, because P- PPL... You go back six years, apparently. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it should be there. PPL is performance. Okay. So you wrote the record, and you went, Mark, I need you to play guitar on it. I've written you the notes. Yeah. But you can but you play the guitar. Yeah. I don't get any publishing because you wrote it. Yeah. But I played on the records. So okay. I get a performance on it. Okay. So you get a split for playing certain instruments. Okay. So I claim a lot of PPL on, on records when and where I'm fixing stuff. But and you've I've done additional production. I've done additional production and stuff and I've, I've um, programmed it yeah. or arranged it or written bass lines or whatever. Then I, I'll take PPL on those kind of records as what well. Does like, what does like, always, you always hear this term, like, what does points on a record mean? Points on a record, I'll get mixed points on a record. So if you signed your record, you take a percentage of the profit, profit which is denoted to you by the label. Yeah. I'd get, as if I mixed your record, I'd get points. What does that mean, points? So I'll, I'll explain. <laughs> so you get, you get, you take a percentage of the profit of the record. Yeah, so let's I say take, 25%. Yeah. yeah. So if that record doesn't make any profit, you don't get any money. As a mix engineer, you get points on a record. I get money before it's the turnover right so you'd get you'd get I'd get three points say on a record so no matter what the turnover even if they spent the whole budget on promotion which is promotion you as the artist so you're going to get revenue from DJing yeah. off it yeah and I at the end of it I've been promised the world and some money and they're like if it was after that and there would be all the money's budget was spent on you making you look good like, yeah. where's my money that comes off before that comes off as a cost right okay so you get you get so points. Before crop profit, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm a cost to the record, like okay. the promotion would be, or whatever, whatever, like that, like that would be. Cool. Right, we're gonna wrap it up, and how we finish every podcast is like a dream gig, dream lineup. You get to pick the venue, so it can be a club, a bar, a festival, wherever. You get three acts: an opening act, a middle act, and a, and a headline act. You can be on the bill as any one of your monikers, or you can just want to go to it. 
So it's like, so I think James was like, he wanted to go to it, he wanted to go um, space terrace, and he wanted to see like Lawler and, and Patrick Topper and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. PBH, I think he had 1975 on there, I don't know what he's done about. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but I mean, I would prefer it if it was DJs or at least electronic music dance acts. But obviously, it's up to fucking you so you can do what you want. But a venue, an opening act, a middle act, and then like a, a headline act, it's a, a sort of dream gig, either to be part of or to just go and fucking see. I, th- I think for me it's got to be more towards like Chemical Brothers, Prodigy. So where's the, what's the venue? Where you gonna where you gonna where you gonna put this? I've always wanted to see the Chems in Glastonbury. Okay, so on um, the main not, stage. Yeah, yeah. So, so pyramid stage. I just don't stage. like the idea of not being able to go for a poo when I want to go for a poo. <laughs> you've got your own right. You've I've got, got your own, own toilet. You've got your own pristine. Yeah. It's not a porter cabin. It's like a proper proper like built brick. No one else is allowed in it. It's beautiful. It's pristine. Like it hasn't got and it's it. right in the middle. And it's just well, it's just wherever you want it to be because it's obviously just all fantasy. Okay. So you, you you you've got somewhere. Well, let's, to, let's let's do that. That's going to be pyramid stage. Pyramid stage. So got me who's on first? We've got three acts. Pyramid we've got stage. Three acts. Yeah. Opening act, middle act, and then a, a headline finish. Finisher off a rivers. Do you want to go in reverse? I'll go reverse. So, you've got to, you've got to finish so the prodigy. Chemi- prodigy. Yeah. Prodigy with yeah. Keith. Obviously, with Keith. Yeah. we went. To, luckily, Josh, my eight-year-old boy, and my dad and I went to see them just recently in uh, at Leeds wow. in November, which was incredible. Absolutely yeah. incredible. Which is earphones and head and earplugs in. Nah, he's he's all right. He's fine. <laughs> Um, so they, they've got to finish. So prodigy to, to headline mm. to finish. Luckily, yeah. we went to and, and weirdly, they were gonna apparently this year. Mm-hmm. They were going to be in Glastonbury this year. Were they? Yeah, and obviously they've cancelled all the gigs because of the... Oh, yeah, it's not going to be... So, head, so put it just a headline. Right. Who's on... Kems. Middle? In the, in the middle. Middle, yeah. And who's opening? I don't, I don't know. You've got me on that. See, I'd like to see Trent Moller. Nice. Okay, so Glastonbury, Trent private Moller. toilet. Private toilet, yeah. <laughs> Trent Moller to open... Uh, chemical Brothers in the middle and and Prodigy to finish. Prodigy to finish. So and I've I've given like uh, I gave James some weird Nutella thing and I gave um, PBH some weird Oreo egg. But I bought you a burger. So Thank I, you. I yeah. You well, technically I bought the burger. Yeah, but I gave you the money back. <laughs> anyway, right, Mark, it's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you for doing much. it. Cheers, Cheers mate. Good to see you. Thank you.